You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We are, of course, gearing up here for uh, Neighbor Day. I invite you to invite others to come to Neighbor Day. And, uh, and then, of course, Easter's coming up uh, early this year. The last Sunday, I believe it's last Sunday in, in March. And uh, we're, we're leading up to that also in the book of Matthew. And we should, we should hit Easter and uh, the resurrection, hopefully, if I keep my schedule that I've got set up, uh, we'll, we'll hit that on Easter morning, resurrection morning. So uh, we're, we're working closer and closer to that. Um, let me, uh, let's read Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 32. Last Sunday evening, we left off with verse 31. In verse 32, the Bible says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree, when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves. You know, what summer, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. We're going to pray, and I'm thankful for what Jesus said there, that heaven and earth are going to pass away, but his words will never pass away. His words are true and faithful. And as we read and as we study these words, especially the words in red, all of it, by the way, is inspired by God. All of it is God's word. But I love reading the, the words that in, in my Bible are, are in red because it's telling us that Jesus said these things. And we're going to learn this morning, I hope we're going to learn some, some things or maybe be refreshed in some things that are going to give us, uh, going to add to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So let's pray. I'm going to have my hands out just as a picture of my heart being open. So God, you can do the same if you please. Father, thank you for your, uh, for your word. Thank you for these, this parable that leads us into more discussion about the, the end times, about the, uh, the return of our Savior. So Lord, I pray that we'll understand it. Uh, Lord, confusion on this may not seem important, but confusion can lead us to make wrong decisions and to do the wrong things. So we pray uh, this morning that you would speak to us. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to what you have for us and that our hearts and our hands would remain open to give to others the things that you have blessed us with, uh, especially, Lord, the gospel and your words here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Now, uh, I mentioned last Sunday evening that this section of Christ's teaching... Chapters 24 and chapter 25 are called the Olivet Discourse. That means Jesus, he went out after seeing Jerusalem, after weeping over Jerusalem. He goes out into um, the Mount of Olives, and he begins this discussion. So we have two chapters here, and the Olivet Discourse deals primarily with end times, primarily with the second coming and the tribulation that, that comes before that. In John chapter 14, Jesus teaches his disciples, teaches the early church, he says... That he's going to go away, and that, but when he goes away, he's going to go prepare a place for them. And he says, that if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus uses the end times as an encouragement. Sometimes we read, and my wife's not in here, so I can tell you this, um, that's always a dangerous comment to start with. Um, but she does, she, Revelation is just one of those books that because of, uh, there's a lot of scary things in there. But we know, and she knows, that we won't be here for that. Uh, that most of the book of Revelation is written that w- the things that will happen after the church has been raptured out. But there's still some things that you read in there 
that it's a little scary. But you know, the end times for us ought to be something that's an encouraging thing. That we look forward to the return of our Lord. Titus chapter 2 verse 13, looking for the blessed looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. It is a hope that we have. It is something we look forward to. And so that's really what the end times ought to be to us. Now, Jesus here uh, gives us a little insight into the eschatology or the study of the end times. But uh, he doesn't give us all the details. Paul elaborates on that more later, especially in the book of books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And I mentioned last week that this passage and what we studied in the beginning of chapter 24 is not really about uh, the rapture. Okay? It is, it's not, the, the, and the rapture, by the way, is not the second coming of Christ. It can be, depending on how you look at it, it can be part of the second coming of Christ. And, and I think that's okay to call it that, that there is Christ's first coming, which is when he came 2,000 years ago as a, as a humble baby in a manger, and then he's going to come again as a conquering king. Uh, that is at the end of the tribulation, but the beginning of those events is the rapture. We're going to see that come, come to play here in, in today's passage. Now, the second coming of Christ will happen after the seven years of tribulation. The rapture, he comes in the clouds. He doesn't come to the earth, doesn't set his feet on the earth. He comes in the clouds and he receives unto himself those who have received him as their Savior. Uh, then, after seven years of tribulation... He uh, comes back to the earth. Now, last Sunday morning, we covered the eight woes that Jesus gave to the Pharisees. These were warnings about sorrow that was coming because of, he over and over calls them hypocrites. Uh, and so he gives us, oh, he says, oh, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he was talking to those because their, their hypocrisy was preventing others from coming to see the true gospel. May your hypocrisy, may my hypocrisy never come between someone and hearing the gospel or receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, they were hypocrites. And then last Sunday evening, we covered verse uh, the first 31 verses of this chapter, where Jesus gave some doctrines of the end times. Now, there's always a debate about what is Jesus exactly talking about. Some believe that Jesus, in the first 31 verses, and really in this whole chapter, was talking about uh, the time that would come between when he spoke this and 70 A.D. when the destruction of Jerusalem would happen. The problem with that is that he tells us that Jesus re would return in glory at the end of that. And he also tells us that, um, that there, the abomination of desolation would be set up halfway through the tribulation period. Those things did not happen. So in my opinion, there is no argument to be made for this being that time period. But some would say this is... The rapture, or some would say this is the tribulation. And so what I hope we can do this morning is answer that question. Is Jesus talking about the rapture before the tribulation or his second coming at the end of the tribulation? So let's see if we can figure that out. Now, I read to you verses 32 through 35. And there we see what, we, what is called the tender branch. Jesus talks and he says that there is coming a time... That, uh, there, that he will come back, and that's where he ends with verses, uh, verse 31. But then he says, there's this parable of the fig tree. Now, this parable is either a great conclusion to last Sunday's sermon or a great introduction to this Sunday's sermon because it is a great transition between what he's talking about. Now, Jesus has been telling his disciples about the tribulation. He says in verse 29... He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. 
And then he goes on to speak in verses 30 and 31 about his return. Then he tells the parable of the fig tree. Now, when he tells about the fig tree, he says that there is uh, that when a branch is yet tender, the word tender, it means that the branch has sap in it. It's after a cold winter when the when the tree had had stopped producing sap for a time, then it would begin to flow again and the branch becomes tender. So he says that this is a predictable occurrence, right? We know that each year this happens. It's a natural and predictable, predictable, predictable occurrence. Now, that means that when it gets to a certain point, the the the, the uh, tree begins to produce sap again. The leaves show up on the tree, and when you see that, you know that summer is near. It's it's what is naturally happening. Now, here's the thing: you don't know exactly what day that that tree is going to produce leaves. You don't know exactly what day that the tree is going to produce sap. You don't know exactly what day summer is going to come. You say, well, the summer's already on the calendar. We know when it's going to come. Now, we're talking about the season. When is it going to be warm? And unless you're Punxsutawney Phil, you know, you don't know exactly when that's going to happen. Um, and so, you know, unless you can speak whatever language he speaks, you just don't know. And there's only one guy, apparently, who can speak that language. And, uh, but we don't know exactly when it's going to get warm, but when we see the leaves begin to come and we see the trap begin, the, the, the um, sap begin to ooze out of the tree, when we see that, we know that the warmth is coming. We know summer is coming. Jesus told them, he said, you know then that when these things happen, in verses 3 through 31, he says, when you see those things happen, you know that his return is near. But as we talked about last week, those are signs that are going to happen during the tribulation. Wars and rumors of wars, pestilences, all these things. These are things that will happen, and I believe to a greater degree, during the tribulation period. That doesn't mean we won't see wars and rumors of wars before the tribulation. Some people believe we are living in the tribulation now. I don't believe that at all. Um, I believe that before the tribulation, we're going to be taken up. If you're saved, I believe you're going to be taken up to, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's what I believe is going to happen to us. Now, that, so the question is then, uh, will these things happen before? There's always been wars and rumors of wars. There's always, that's always happened. Now, we may begin to see them in the church age, but it is not a requirement. Nothing else has to happen before the rapture of the church. Nothing else. That means it could happen before I finish the sermon. Now, it may not happen until next month or next year, and I'm not going to tr try to predict it. I'm going to tell you why in a moment. But it can happen at any moment. It's imminent, which means it can happen at any time. Now, in verse 34, he says uh, that this generation shall not pass till so all these things be fulfilled. Then, now, that, what is this generation? Obviously, it logically could not be the disciples that were listening to him right there. He could say, well, this generation, this, the, a generation can be all those that are alive at a certain, during a certain time frame. So you might say, well, there's a couple, maybe two, three generations that are alive at any point. But it could speak of all those that are alive at that point. Could Jesus be saying that these things will not happen, uh, that this generation will still be around when that happens? Well, we, there's different meanings to the word generation. One of them, of course, is what I just mentioned. Now, another thing it could be, um, well, first of all, why couldn't it be those that were alive at that time? I already gave you the answer. 
It's because the abomination of desolation was not set up in the temple. Uh, Jesus did not return in glory. And so we know that those things have not happened. Now, generation then must mean one of two things. It might mean that it's all those who are alive when these things happen. That, that that generation, when people, when these things begin to happen, when the wars and rumors of wars, when the, when the rapture happens and, and, and all these other signs of Christ's second coming begin to happen, we can see and we can step back and go, well, that generation will not pass until all these things be fulfilled. That could be that. But the second option is that the word generation can mean a nation or a family group. It can be used in that way also. That, you know, we, it's, it, the word is genia, it means the generation. It means that it can mean that nation or a family group. So it could be speaking of the Jewish people. That the Jewish people will not pass until these things come true. Now we know that that's going to happen. We know that God promised that his people, the Jewish people, would be alive. And we know that many of them, many of them will be saved during that tribulation time. Now Jesus says this. He says, you can trust this because my words will never pass away. They remain true and they remain faithful. They remain that way all throughout history and throughout all generations. But look at verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Then they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, then one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. No man knows the hour. This is what Jesus is teaching here. No man knows the day. No man knows the hour. He stressed that, that we don't know when those things will take place. Notice here that he is not specifically addressing his second coming to earth, but in the context, and according to verse 34, he says these things. The generation will not pass until these things happen. No man knows the hour when these things will happen. These things, I believe, are Daniel's 70th week. If you study the book of Daniel, there are the 69 weeks, and then we are living in the church age, which Daniel couldn't see, but then we have the 70th week. A week was a set of seven. And so it's seven years that we have the tribulation period. That will be Daniel's 70th week. I believe that's those things that he is talking about. Now, in verse 37, he compares the uncertainty of the return of Christ and the timing of that, not the uncertainty of whether it will happen, but the timing of when it will happen to the days of Noah. Noah knew the flood was coming. How did he know the flood was coming? Because God told him. And so Noah begins to build the ark. And as he's building the ark, the ark itself was a testimony to what was going to happen. Why are you building a boat, man? It's never rained. Why are you building a boat in the middle of the land? Why aren't you building it next to the water? And, and so he, all these people are going, this guy's crazy. Well, listen, we as Christians, we are either crazy for believing what we believe or we have the truth. And I have given my life, I have staked my life, as many of you have, on everything I need, let me rephrase it, every, I want to be where everything I do is for the focus of the gospel. I'm far from that. But that should be my motivation, that everything I'm doing is to shed the light on what is going on. Listen, what do I have to gain from it? What do you have to gain from sharing 
the gospel with others. In the earth's eyes, you have nothing to gain. But we have eternal rewards in heaven. Now we're laying up store in heaven rewards because we are sharing the gospel with others while we're here. Now Noah did not know exactly when the flood was going to come. God didn't tell him. I mean, he's probably hoping it's after the boat's finished, right? Uh, that, you know, hey, I'm, Lord, I'm building this boat. Can you just hold off the rain until I'm done with it? Now, Noah desperately tried to tell others that it was coming, but they ignored him. But guess what? It did come. When the floods came, all those who lived on the earth, who rejected the message of Noah, died in the flood. You know, maybe some of them said, no, I don't, I don't believe that it's going to rain. That's crazy. And I'm sure that that happened a lot. But it might have been some people who said, you know what, Noah, maybe it was Noah's, maybe it was his cousins, maybe it was his nieces and nephews, maybe whoever it was. They, they said, all right, Noah, you know, Uncle Noah's not that crazy, but yeah, I'm not ready to get on board with this thing yet. I'm not ready to make that decision. I'm not getting on that boat. It's dry. Why would I get on that boat? And they couldn't see coming what God had promised was going to come. And so whether it was outright rejection or just a, a wait till a more convenient day, those who rejected, those who did not trust what Noah's message was were killed in the flood. Listen, what, the day that that ark door closed, it was too late for anybody else to get on the boat. Verse 40 says, Then shall be two left in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. And two women will be grinding at the mill, and the other will be taken one will be taken and the other left. Here's the thing. All of us will be surprised when the Lord comes. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be gone. If you are saved, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, when, when you are taken up, you're going to be surprised. Now, we don't know what's coming. There's no, we don't get it like a, hey, uh, it's going to be later tonight. So get your affairs in order. You know what? It's going to be tomorrow. So you got a day. Enjoy, enjoy this next day. We don't get that warning. We just simply are going to be taken away. And he says that some, I believe, will be surprised that they're up in the sky with the Lord as they're going away. And some will be surprised at all those people who are gone. I, I, I hope that nobody in this room will be surprised to go, where, where did my spouse go? Where did my coworker go? What event is he talking about here? Two will be in the field and one shall be taken, the other one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, the one taken and the other one left. Is this about the rapture of the second coming? Is this about what happens before or is this about what happens after? Some people, post-millennialists, people who believe that, the, that, we will, that there is no rapture, that the rapture and the second coming are one event, uh, they, would, that they would say, hey, they're the same event, so it's talking about both of them. The problem is if you compare what we read in chapter 24 and you compare it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you will find that there are some similarities, but there's also major differences. There's differences that can't be reconciled. There has to be two different events here. So which one is he talking about? The text here is not specifically... Now listen, we're going to, come, we're going to cover this a little bit more as we go through this in the next few minutes. It is not specifically about the New Testament church, but it is about the Lord's final restoration of Israel. So as we read through this, we go, oh man, no, no, no man knows the hour or day that the Lord's going to come. And we think that that's talking about the rapture. It's actually talking about the second coming. But does it apply to the rapture? And we're going to cover that as we continue. Verse 42. 
Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in, in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, who, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Jesus here talks about faithful servants. What is the application for you and me from this text? You say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm saved. I know and I believe that I'm going to be gone when Jesus raptures us out. So how does this even apply to me then? Do I need to be concerned about the coming of the Lord? First, Jesus said no man knows the hour or day that he will return. According to verse 36, Jesus himself did not know. He did not know when that day is going to come. I don't know. There's uh, people say that Jesus still doesn't know. There are people say that, well, Jesus did, just didn't know in his earthly flesh. I don't know. But I know that there's coming a day that Jesus did not know at that point that God is going to, his father is going to look at him and say, son, it's time. Go get your bride. And he's going to come in the clouds. He's going to receive us up. So Jesus didn't even know when that part was going to take place. But obviously he doesn't know or he didn't know when the second coming would be. By the way, this should show us the foolishness of trying to predict when the Lord's going to come. Um, I, how many of you remember preachers, and I'm talking Baptist preachers, uh, preaching that the Lord's going to come before Y2K? I remember being in chapel, and I'm not saying that our school endorses, but I remember a guest speaker coming in, and I remember him preaching that I believe, and it was just his belief, he didn't say, you know, the Bible teaches us, he just said, I believe the Lord's going to come before year, the year 2000. Remember when the year 2000, everything was going to explode and we were all going to die? Um, it was going to be horrible, you know. And uh, I remember, you know, I got up the next morning and my clock still worked. So that was good. Um, we, people, and people freaked out. I don't know. I, he didn't come yet. I know that. And I don't know when he's going to come. I don't know if it's during my lifetime. Uh, Paul lived his life believing that the Lord was going to come in his lifetime. Now, he wasn't predicting it. He wasn't saying it's going to happen. But I believe he thought that was going to happen. We ought to live at least with the knowledge and understanding that he could come at any moment. He could come today, as I said, before we finish this service. Now, according to Daniel, there is a specific number of days from the abomination of desolation until the second coming at the end of the tribulation. Okay, So that means once that abomination of desolation is set up in the temple... There's 1,290 days, according to Daniel, where before uh, the, the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ to the earth. So how can we say no man knows the hour or day? Is, is this a conflict? Is this a contradiction? When I look at the context, I go back to these things in verse 33. Know that it is near. He says that so likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. That it is, it is close. Uh, no man knows when these things will take place. I think we have to take this in context and say that he's talking about the context of the end times. When will all of this happen? I don't know. And neither do you. Well, since, since you and I don't know the hour, the day or hour of the returning of the Lord, what should we be doing? We should be watching. 
You know, see, you say, well, is this talking about the rapture? Is this talking about the second coming? Yes. I, I think it's something we don't know when the end times are going to happen. We don't know when Daniel's 70th week is going to take place. And so what do we do in the meantime? We're watching. As a thief in the night comes to take the prized possessions of, from, from a dark house, the Lord is going to come and take his prized possession from this dark earth. And he says, listen, if the watchman had known when he's going to come, the watchman would have called him. If somebody came to you and said, hey, at, at, uh, at 2.07 uh, Apple time tonight, uh, at 2.07, precisely, it is going to be, uh, somebody's going to come and they're going to break in your house. You would say, well, I'm not going to be in there. And I'm going to call the police and tell them that they're coming at this point. We've been broken into. Uh, it happened in the middle of the day. Uh, we didn't know when it was going to happen. This was years, probably 10 years ago. Uh, we didn't know when it was going to happen, but it happened. Nobody knew. We did not expect it. And here's the thing. Nobody even told us that it was going to happen eventually. But we have a warning saying, listen, the Lord is going to return. The Lord is coming back. Does that matter to us? Does that matter to you that the Lord's going to come back? The, the watchman doesn't know the hour. If he did, he would keep a diligent lookout. He would look, if he, if he said it's coming at 2.07 in the morning and the Lord's coming then, he would be watching everywhere. And he'd be saying, which way is he coming from? All right, I'm keeping my eyes out because I'm not going to let this guy plunder my house. But instead, the watchman, maybe he dozed off and someone stole what was in his house. Verse 44 says, Therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Be watching. Most Christians today live with no anticipation of the Lord's return. Most Christians live today with no anticipation that the Lord is going to come back and rapture. To catch The word rapture means to catch away, that he's going to catch away his saints. But the Lord here says, be ready. Be ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. And in verse 45, he says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant? whose Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. So we need to be watching, but we need to be working. We're not commanded to be sitting by the side of a mountain or go up a mountain and sell all of our stuff, go up a mountain and just wait for the Lord to come. Acts 1 tells us about the disciples. They, they were, Jesus had ascended into heaven, and the disciples, the Bible says, that they, they just stared, and they just looked up into heaven. An angel comes and says, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? He says, you, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken away from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. You see, what happened after that? The disciples, they saw Jesus go up into heaven, and they just stood there, and they gazed into heaven. Junior Hill is an evangelist and preacher. He passed away, I think, last year, or maybe it was, I think it was last year. And I remember hearing him preach at a conference, and he was an amazing, one of, the, one of the, my favorite preachers, and he stayed faithful to the Lord until the end. But he, I remember him preaching about gazing Christians. Not grazing Christians, that would be different. Okay? Gazing Christians, that they just stood and, and they stared up into heaven. And you know, there's, there's a danger that we could be Christians who, who have no acknowledgement, we have no concern for the return of the Lord. And we could just go, I'm just going out with my life and I'm working and I'm, and I'm doing the things I want to do. I'm enjoying life. We'll talk about that in a moment. That we could, we could be that way, but we could also be someone who's just gazing. That we just look in the heaven just like, okay, Lord, can you come back? 
And we ought to be looking forward to the return of Christ, but we need to be working. And so he, he, the angel says, why stand you gazing up in heaven? He's going to come back just like he went up. And then what happens? Acts chapter 2. And the disciples preach the word of God. Peter preaches maybe the, one of the most powerful sermons by anybody but Jesus ever. And he preaches this sermon and 5,000 people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior that day. And then what happened? They gave up? They, then, they, then they went back to gazing? No. They spent the rest of their earthly lives working for the Lord. We will work until Jesus comes. That should be our attitude. That our, our history here on this earth, the rest of our story, cannot be us going on with life without concern for the return of Christ. But it also can't be that we are just gazing in heaven. We need to be watching and we need to be working. We need to go out and tell people about the return of Christ. The Holy Spirit used those men in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 to be the building blocks as the church grew and as the church became more of what it is. If you read through the book of Acts, the church was in development through all of that. I believe it was started during the earthly ministry of Christ, but it, it, be, it was continually developed through the book of Acts. We should be down the streets working with anticipation that our master will find us working. He's going to come back someday. And it doesn't mean that you can't be sleeping. It doesn't mean that, if, oh man, what the Lord comes back in the middle of the night and I'm sleeping. It's okay. Okay, sleep. But what are you doing with your time? What are you doing when you're awake? Are you serving yourself? Or are you preparing for the Lord's return? Because if I'm preparing for the Lord's return, I want to tell as many people as I can about the truth of the gospel. And you say, oh, Pastor, you must be doing a really good job at that. No. That's, that's the point. I'm not. I need to be telling more people. I have the same battle you have. I want to serve myself. I want what I want. And then the Holy Spirit says, no, you need, you need to want what I want. You need to want what the Father wants. And it's a, it's a battle that will go on until we're no longer on this earth. He says that the servant will be, this servant, the faithful servant, will be rewarded by his master. Look at verse 48. But... And if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there's faithful servants, but then there's evil servants. Some just enjoy life with no regard for the future. They have no regard for the return of the master. They were servants who the master went away and then they, when he came back, there were some that were working. There were some that were doing what they were supposed to do, but then there were some who said, ah, he's not coming back. He's not coming back for a while. And he says there that they treated each other. They began to smite their fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunken. Why? Because they didn't see that the Lord was going to return, that their master was going to return. He says that when the master returns, those servants will be cast into a place of eternal torment, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation, I just was talking with someone before the service, and Revelation clearly tells us that at, at the end, that death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. It will be a place of eternal unrest, eternal torment for all those who have rejected Jesus Christ. 
You know, when we see this in context of Scripture, it is clearly not the working of man that determines the destination of a man, but it is the true destination of a man that determines his working on this earth. And what, what Jesus is saying is that someone who has no regard for his return, someone who, has, who, someone who is a servant, you say, I'm at church, I'm a member of this church, uh, great. And I'm not, I have nobody in this church that I think isn't saved. I have no idea about your heart. I can't judge it. I can only judge the outside. The Lord looketh on the outward appearance. Uh, a man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, God, the Father, looks on the heart. So I have, I'm not judging anybody or expecting anybody to not be saved. But listen, just because you're a member of the church, you could be that evil servant who is not caring about the return of, of the Savior. And so you have to come to a conclusion that either you're ignorant of it or you're a hypocrite. That you're ignorant of the return of Christ or you've never truly accepted Jesus Christ. And I, that's only between you and the Lord. We can't judge that. You say, well, I don't, you know, end times doesn't matter. The, the return of the Lord doesn't matter. Obviously, it matters a lot because Jesus is saying, be ready, be watching, be working. Because be I'm coming back and when I come back, you, I want to find you working. But if you've disregarded the Lord's work and you said, yeah, you know what, I go to church. That's good enough. Going to church never saved anybody. Putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior is the only thing that can save you. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the gospel. Paul says that it is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, along with all that goes the things that go with it, right? That Jesus Christ was a perfect, sinless son of God. He was born of a virgin. He lived that perfect, sinless life on this earth for all 33 and a half years, never, never once sinned, and that made him the only one qualified because he was God in human flesh. He was God and he was man. Then he came to this earth and he died on the cross for our sins, but it doesn't end there because he resurrected from the, de- from the grave as the conqueror of death and hell. And he says, if, if you will repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ, you can be saved. So what shall we do? Are you living in anticipation of the Lord's return? I mentioned last Sunday evening, but please, please hear the gospel and accept it. If you're, if you're not saved, please hear the gospel before it's too late. We don't know when our last breath on this earth will be. We don't know when the Lord's coming in the clouds and the tribulation begins. We, we don't know when that will be. Either our death, either your death will come... Or the rapture comes. One of those two is going to happen. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die. Unless the Lord returns and captures us away, then death is imminent. You know, either our death or his return will come at any moment, and your opportunities will be lost. Someone asked me a really good question after last Sunday evening's message. And I want to read to you uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. They said um, that, that it wasn't argumentative at all. They were just asking. Uh, I made a statement that if the Lord returns, that those who rejected him will not have the opportunity during the tribulation period to be saved. And so uh, they asked me about the Second Thessalonians chapter 2. verse. I'm going to start with verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by the Spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, 
as the way, as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin uh, be revealed, the son of perdition. That means that the tribulation is not going to come until he's, uh, that, that the end times will not come until Jesus has been revealed. I'm uh, sorry, not Jesus, the Antichrist will be revealed, the son of perdition. Verse 4. But whoso, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth, sitteth in the temple of God, show, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Now, here's what he says. And now ye know that what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The word letteth in the King James English is the opposite. The word means the opposite of what it means today. Uh, today, let means to allow. The word let there and letteth means to restrain or to hold something back. So he says, he who now letteth or holdeth back will hold back until he be taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit is what he's talking about. And then sh- shall that wicked be revealed. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, I believe that when that time comes, that the Lord is, that the Lord's going to return. When he comes, to the clouds, comes in the clouds, if you've heard the gospel, which you have, and you've rejected the gospel, that if the Lord returns today, or if you die today, you will have no further opportunity to trust Jesus Christ. The, the invitation is open. The Bible, the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You call on him knowing that you need him. And if you will trust him as your savior, you can be saved today. So end times don't really matter, does it? Well, it does because we need to be found watching and waiting. If I thought, you know what, I'm not really sure about all this. And when the Lord returns, um, you know, if he returns during my lifetime, I'll have the tribulation period. I can, I can trust in that. I mean, if you look around and half the people you knew, all the... You came to church and you were the only one here. And it was regular service time. And you go, you know what? I guess Pastor Stephen was right in the way he interpreted that. All right, I'm going to trust him now. I don't believe you'll have that opportunity. I believe that's what Second Thessalonians chapter 2 teaches. Now, this isn't fun. Like, I, There's a lot more fun sermons to preach than this one. But I also know that if you will trust Jesus Christ, you will have that eternal hope. Our musicians are going to come and prepare to sing a hymn of invitation. We're going to sing this song without him. Listen, without him, I would be nothing. Without him, I would surely fail. As we sing this, I hope you will take these words to heart and say, is there, does the Holy Spirit live in me because, because I've been saved, because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior? You say, well, I'm working at it, Pastor. I'm going to get there. I'm going to work really hard at becoming saved. You don't. You can't work to be saved. You can only let go and let God do it. That's all you can do is trust him. 
Let's stand as we sing. If you've never been saved and you would like to know more about it, I would love to talk to you. You can come during the song. Come down the aisle. Talk to me. Talk to me after service. We would love, I would love to talk with you more about how you can know you have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you've been saved, are you living in a view of eternity? Are you living looking for the return of the Savior? That's where your hope is. You see, I think so many of us go through life going, man, I just don't know. I don't have anything to be excited for. I, I'm just, I'm kind of like in with that phase. You know, you, you have vacation coming up and you're looking forward to it. You have, you have a, a, a job promotion coming up and you're looking forward to it. You've got a grandchild on the way or a child on the way and you're looking forward to it. And sometimes, listen, speaking from experience, you come to times in life you're like, I'm not sure what I'm looking forward to because my focus is on me. But if I would look to the blessed Savior, if I'm looking for his return, looking to that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, there is no greater thing to look forward to than eternity. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbc.com. Hazel Park.